welcome to Transforming Minds, Transforming Lives, a podcast series of RCCG Living Spring Pittsburgh. Stay tuned for our senior pastor, Boyga Esson. Well, last week we started a series which I'm going to complete today, Building Your Self-Image, Part 2. And the Part 1 we used again as a case study, Gideon. We are going to continue in that light. The Midianites were oppressing the Israelites, and there was so much trouble. And in the midst of the trouble, an angel came to Gideon, called him a mighty man of valor. He said, look, go in this your mind and deliver Israel. And Gideon said, look, who is the mighty man of valor here? Look, I'm the least in my family. My family is the least in Israel. For God's sake, where is the mighty man of valor here? But you see, over time, God convinced Gideon about what he carried. Is my prayer God will convince you about what you carry? When God is going to raise somebody, it tampers with his thinking. Because you are what you think all day long. You can't be separated from your thoughts. The mind is very powerful. And that's why the Bible says you have to renew your mind on a daily basis. So we set everybody as a self-image. There's a picture of you you carry. There's a picture of me I carry. And you see, the irony is this. Somehow, what you carry, your surroundings can smell it. The Bible says, keep your heart with all diligence, for out of it are the issues of life. One version says, out of it are the forces of life. How do you know if you have a poor self-image, where you're extremely sensitive to other people's opinion, where you're very self-conscious of yourself, where you're a pessimist, when you're very critical of other people, they cut down other people in order to cover for their own poor self-image. We also say people who have poor self-image, they always cling. They can't stand alone. They need someone to lean on. They like parasitic relationships because they need someone to lean on. Judges 7 verse 12. Judges 7 verse 12. Now the Midianites and Amalekites, all the people of the east were lying in the valley as numerous as locusts. Their camels were without number as they sang by the seashore in multitude. And when Gideon had come, there was a man telling a dream to his companion. He said, I have had a dream. To my surprise, a loaf of barley bread tumbled into the camp of Midian. He came to a tent and struck it so that it fell and overturned and the tent collapsed. Then his companion answered and said, Oh, this is nothing else but the sword of Gideon, the son of Joash, a man of Israel, into his hand God has delivered Midian and the whole camp. And so it was when Gideon had the telling of the dream and his interpretation that he worshipped. He returned to the camp of Israel and said, Arise, for the Lord has delivered the camp of Midian into your hand. Very good story. After the angel came to Gideon and said, Look, you are the one to deliver Israel from the hands of the Midianites. This guy was doubting. He told God, If I'm the one to deliver them, let's go into a contest. He said, Lord, I want to try. I want to actually be sure that you are the one talking to me. So he said, Okay, Lord, I will put out a fleece. I will put a wool outside overnight. And if you are the one talking to me to be deliverer of Israel, let dew fall upon that wool and let the surroundings around the wool be dry. And somehow, the following morning, it got there, the wool was wet, and the surroundings around the wool was dry. He said, Lord, I'm not convinced yet. Let's do it again. He said, this time around, let the wool be dry. So he put the wool again a second time overnight. He said, let the wool be dry and let the surroundings around the wool be wet. And God came again, the wool was dry, the following morning, the surroundings were wet. This guy wasn't convinced. God now said, okay, I want you to go to the camp of the Midianites to hear what they are saying about you. 
And this guy went to the camp of the Midianites. As he got there, somehow he is dropped on some conversation. Some guys were having a conversation. One of the soldiers said, I dreamt. In my dream, I saw one barley, one loaf of bread, coming against our camp, coming against our tent. And that one loaf of bread just dismantled everything, destroyed everything. Just one tiny loaf came and just overran our tents. And the other one said, oh, I know the meaning of the dream. I can interpret for you. Said that one loaf of bread, that's the sword of Gideon, the son of Joash. That Gideon will come against us like one man. Said Gideon will overcome us. It was then that Gideon was persuaded. The Bible says when he heard what the enemy was saying about him, he was happy. He worshipped God. And he now went and mobilized forces against the Midianites. God was able to fully persuade him. It took a while. This guy had a paradigm shift. When you have a paradigm shift, it's a total shift. There's a way you are thinking that may not be helping the purposes of God. There's a way you are thinking that may be jeopardizing your future. But when God raises up a man, it tampers with his thinking. We saw it again in the life of Abraham. Say, Abraham, I'm going to make you a father of nations. It was too big for Abraham to swallow. God said, okay, come along. He took him outside. He took him out of the tent. The tent was limiting his thinking, limiting his sight. Maybe you are in the tent. God will take you out of the tent in Jesus' mighty name. He said, look, come out of the tent. He said, get out of that limiting place. Come out of the tent. Let me show you who you are. And of course, he went out in the night and he saw the firmament, many, many stars. And God told him, as numerous as these stars are, so shall your offsprings be. Genesis chapter 12. And the Bible says, Abraham believed God, and it was counted to him as righteousness. Is my prayer God will tamper with your thinking? Is my prayer you will see yourself the way everyone sees you? Is my prayer God will bring you out of the tent, and he will bring you to the open to make you see the invisible? In the mighty name of Jesus. Those who do the impossible, they are people who see the invisible. Those who do the impossible are people who hear the inaudible. It's my prayer you will hear the inaudible. You also see the invisible in the mighty name of Jesus. Just like God was able to persuade Gideon, God will also persuade you along destiny lines in the mighty name of Jesus. The Bible says in Romans chapter 12, verse 2, Romans chapter 12, verse 2, the NLT version says, Don't copy the behavior and customs of this world, but let God transform you into a new person by changing the way you think. That's very powerful. So don't copy the behavior of this world. Don't copy them, the way they operate. Majority don't always carry the votes. When you are dealing with spiritual matters, dealing with God, majority don't always carry the vote. When God is going to raise a man, he changes the way the man thinks. It makes the man believe the impossible. It makes the man see himself as he is. It can turn you into a miracle worker. But for God to turn you into a miracle worker, he actually starts in your mind. It's my prayer you will see what you are supposed to see today in Jesus' mighty name. The most important thing that can happen to anyone is to get born again. Not even your doctor is as important as becoming born again. Not even your achievements, your accomplishment is as important as becoming born again. But second to that, the most important thing that can happen to any Christian is to have his mind renewed. Prayers are good. Prayers are wonderful. But what prayer does is to strengthen your spirits. The challenge is in the mind. The strongholds, the imaginations, that's why the Bible says cast their imaginations, and there is that exalt itself against the knowledge of God. The strongholds are in the mind. The limitations are in the mind. The challenges are in the minds of men. So when God begins to demolish those strongholds, you see yourself becoming free. And let me tell you something about your mind. You own your mind. 
So when you see your mind wandering, call it back. Saul was a old king. By the time David became more popular than him, after he slew Goliath, they were hailing him, oh, David had slew tens of thousands. Saul, the king, just slew a thousand. They were singing David's praise over and above him. And Saul became mad. He began to pursue this boy until he died, until he met his own Waterloo. A whole king running after a shepherd boy who became popular. Saul didn't renew his mind. When you see your mind going berserk, when you see your mind going in opposition to what is right, when you see your mind going in opposition to the will of God, call your mind back. That's how to renew your mind. When you see yourself excessively just worrying over nothing and it's beginning to affect your health, call your mind back. Remind your mind what the promises of God says. Your mind needs constant education. Your mind needs to be renewed on a regular basis. If you don't renew your mind, yes, you may be prayerful, but you not get the best because you are what you think. The Bible says, as a man thinketh, so is he. He said, look, as water reflects the face of a man, so also the heart of man reflects the man. It's my prayer, God, to help us to take this matter of mind renewal very seriously. To take it very seriously when you are excessively worrying or when your mind is lusting, call it back. Just like you have control of your hand, you also have control of your mind. Amen. You will never get to that point that you don't have control of your mind in Jesus' name. Amen. I mean, that will never be your portion in Jesus' name. Amen. Now, three things are very important. If you want to have a very good self-image, being loved is very important. Being valued is very, very important. Three things. Being accepted. Being loved is important. Being accepted is important. And having a sense of competence is important when you're talking of image. And you see, many times we source these things from other people. If you tell me I love you, yes, I may begin to like you, I may begin to be disposed towards you, I may carry that for very long. That's what so said, I'm so gracious. That's how the human mind works. But you have to get to a point that you are beyond people's opinions. Because the same people told Jesus, oh, you are king of the Jews, who are allowing his donkey to walk on their clothes. That same set of people also said a couple of days after, crucify him. So people's opinion, yes, they matter. But they don't matter as much as God's opinion. And if you live your life just by people's opinion, oh, you will make many mistakes. Because the same person who tells you today, oh, I love you, I can die for you, will be the same one blackmailing you tomorrow. So you have to get to a point that you source everything from God. Yes, I want to be loved. I appreciate you loving me. But much more than you loving me is that I want to know that God loves me. I want to be secure in the love of God. And if you look at Ephesians chapter 3, verse 15 downwards, Paul the apostle was praying for the church in Ephesus. He was saying, Lord, let this church come to know your love. Let this church come to know the length and the breadth and the height and the depth. Let this church come to know the vastness of your love. Because by knowing the vastness of Jesus' love, that completes them. That's what it says. Now look, when you truly know how much God loves you, it completes you. It gives you a sense of fulfillment. It makes you to walk tall. It makes you to have a chip on your shoulder. And you know God's love is constant. It doesn't change. It doesn't vacillate. It's constant. So the day you behave well, God loves you equally. He doesn't love you less the day you misbehave. He doesn't love you more the day you behave appropriately. He loves you across board. When you have a revelation that God loves me, when you are secure in that love, nothing else will matter. And the Bible says God loves us in spite of ourselves. He said he showed his love towards us 
that when we were yet sinners, Christ died for the ungodly. So the ultimate of love is Jesus Christ coming to die for mankind. That's how valuable human beings are to God. So ordinarily, the human being is not even born again, is valuable to God. How much more you? He calls you the apple of his eyes. He said, look, you are a peculiar treasure in my hands. He said, I've engraven you on the palms of my hands. Say, your words are continually before me. In other words, God loves you more than you can ever realize. Paul was praying that, Lord, let them know, let them have a revelation of the love of God. God's love is actually incomprehensible. It's beyond human comprehension. And it's my prayer God will show you his love for you in Jesus' mighty name. Yes, the fact that we are even called children of God alone is proof that God loves us. But the greater proof is that he sent Jesus Christ to come die for mankind. He died for us so that we will not go to hell. That's the ultimate proof of the love of God. So in other words, I source my sense of love from heaven. My wife loves me. I know that. God bless her. She will keep on loving me till the very end. And that love will not go south in Jesus' mighty name. But over and above the love of my wife is the love of God. I want to be secure in the love of God. So the day somebody tells me I hate you, it won't matter too much to me. It won't batter my esteem. It won't batter my ego. Because I know God loves me. And that secures me. And you know, nobody likes to be rejected. Do you know why women feel divorce pains more than men? Because they feel rejected. When somebody is rejected, it's not good. People never recover because somebody said, look, I don't want you anymore. It could be that bad. But we thank God for Jesus. So that feeling of always being one to be accepted, it cuts across. Everybody wants to be accepted. Everybody wants to be valued. But guess what? The psalmist said, David, somebody who knew the love of God, said, even if my father and my mother reject me, Psalm 27 verse 10, said that the Lord will take care of me. Very powerful scripture. And you know, I also realize that there's something about God. That is that person that people hate, that God loves. What is despised amongst men, many times is highly esteemed in heaven. And those things that are esteemed amongst men, sometimes are despised in heaven. That's why they call him the help of the helpless. That's why he's the father of the fatherless. That's why he's husband to the widow. He's close to those who are lonely. He's close to those who are despised. He's close to those nobody is reckoning with. Even though he's the most high, he has regard for the most lowly. That beats me. People that men will use as a floor mat, those are people that God regards. So if you feel rejected, I say congratulations to you. Because heaven is very close to you. If you feel that, look, you have been despised, maybe you have been deprived of a fatherly love, of a motherly love, look up. If you look up, you can never be disappointed. Stop looking around. Stop looking for validation. Get to a point that you validate yourself. Don't wait for somebody to validate you. Tell yourself, I'm wonderfully and marvelously made. If we don't validate you, we'll validate you. The Bible says in Genesis chapter 29, verse 30, that somehow Jacob loved Rachel. Jacob wanted to marry Rachel. The father of Rachel tricked him and said, look, for you to marry Rachel, you have to first of all marry Leah. And the man said, look, for you to marry Rachel, you have to work for her seven years. So Jacob worked for Rachel seven years, and it was just like one year because he was very much in love. After the seven years, this man tricked him, gave him Leah, who is the older to Rachel. And he said, okay, if you still want Rachel, I'll give you Rachel, but work another seven years. So Jacob was willing to work for 14 years to marry a woman. That was how much he loved Rachel. That was how much he prized Rachel. That was how much Rachel was valuable to him. And from day one, he never liked Leah because he was tricked into marrying Leah. 
But look at what the Bible says in Genesis chapter 29, verse 30. The Bible says, Genesis 29, 30. Then Jacob also went into Rachel, and he also loved Rachel more than Leah. And he served Laban another seven years. When the Lord saw that Leah was unloved, he opened her womb, but Rachel was barren. So God was fighting for a woman who was being oppressed. She was the first wife. It happened by trickery. But Jacob loved Rachel, and Jacob showed Leah that, look, you don't matter to me. It was that bad. This woman suffered rejection. But the Bible says when God saw that she was unloved, God opened her womb. But somehow, Rachel was barren. Let's read on. Genesis 29, verse 32. So Leah conceived and bore a son, and she called his name Reuben. For she said, the Lord has surely looked on my affliction. Now, therefore, my husband will love me. In other words, because she was unloved, when she had a baby, she named the baby Reuben. That now God has seen my affliction. Now my husband will love me. Verse 33. Then she conceived again. She just kept on conceiving and bore a son. And said, because the Lord has heard that I'm unloved, he has therefore given me this son also. And she called his name Simeon. Verse 34. She conceived again and bore a son. And she said, now this time my husband will become attached to me because I have bore him three sons. Therefore, his name was called Levi. Verse 35. And she conceived again and bore a son a fourth time. Now I will praise the Lord. Therefore, she called his name Judah that she stopped bearing. What was Leah trying to do? She was trying to gain Jacob's attention by naming those children. Oh, the Lord has seen my affliction because my husband doesn't love me. Oh, now my husband will love me because I've given him a second son. She was trying to source I esteem from Jacob. Until she got a fourth son. I said, ah, this man is not paying me attention with everything I'm doing. <laughs> now we just praise the Lord. She now resigned and gave it all up to God. She could have done that from the start. She was trying to source. She was trying to gain approval, affirmation from a man who was even looking at her. Even though she was in his house. It's great. Yes, to want your husband's love is wonderful. <laughs> Every woman wants it. But for God's sake, when you know the love of God, that love can complete you. Even when the man doesn't give you as much attention, somehow you are good. So Leah was looking up to this man. She kept on naming her children. Ah, because I'm not love, because I'm not love, 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 love. The man never showed her the love. And she said, okay, now I just resign to God. She now gave back to Judah and called him praise. The Lord now will praise you. It's my prayer you will praise God. Amen. Over and beyond your issues, you will praise God. Amen. Whether somebody loves you or not, you will praise God. Whether you feel rejected, you will praise God in the mighty name of Jesus. So she was working out to be accepted by Jacob. But the Bible says we are already accepted in the beloved. Ephesians chapter 1 verse 6. That blood of Jesus purchased our acceptance. Anytime you come to God, he accepts you. God's hands are wide open. Do you know that? If you call God's number anytime, he picks up. You are accepted in the beloved. I keep telling myself, I'm accepted by God. I'm God's righteousness in Christ Jesus because he adopted me into his own family. Even before time began, he adopted me into his own family and he had pleasure adopting me. He was glad adopting me. Ephesians chapter 1 verse 5. God decided in advance to adopt us into his own family by bringing us to himself through Jesus Christ. This is what he wanted to do and he gave him great pleasure. So in other words, you coming to Jesus gives God great pleasure. He adopted us, and he gave us rights as his sons, as his daughters, and that's who we are. Another thing that can affect somebody's esteem is when you don't feel competent. 
when people don't feel competent, they are shy, they are into themselves. But you see, in life, you have to realize there's something about you that somebody else doesn't have. And that's so true. Everybody has a gift. Romans chapter 12, verse 6. Everybody, in his grace, God has given us different gifts for doing certain things well. You don't know you. That's why you feel you don't have anything. And God will introduce you to you in Jesus' mighty name. Just like Gideon, who never knew he carried so much power. So, there are certain things you can do well. When people think they are not very gifted, or when they think they are not very intelligent, it's likely they have a battered self-image. But the Bible says, I can do all things which he has called me to do. In other words, God has called you to do certain things well. He has graced you to do certain things well. Philippians chapter 4, verse 13, the Bible is putting it into perspective. I can do all things which he has called me to do through him who strengthens and empowers me to fulfill his purpose. I'm self-sufficient in Christ's sufficiency. That's big. I'm ready for anything and equal to anything through him who infuses me with inner strength and confident peace. In other words, there are certain things you can do well. And you know, when you begin to do that one thing well, it has a way of making you appear as if you can do many things well. That sounds funny, but it's true. If you can do one thing well, you're expert in one thing. It has a way of making people think that you can do many things well. That's how life works. So what is your grace? What do you do well? Don't despise it. Many times we despise it. That guy with the one talent, he went to bury the one talent because he was looking at the guy who has two. Ah, that this one is more gifted. The guy with five, oh, this one is multi-gifted. I stand no chance. Life is not competition, sir. Amen. You have your own race. I have my own race. You shine, your shine. I shine, my shine. If I remain on my own lane, I will shine. Why am I trying to become somebody who has five talents? If I trade with just my one very well, God will give me more. That's what the Bible says. That to him who uses what he has well, more will be given him. But to the one who never used what he has well, even that one will be taken away. So, why are you comparing yourself? Somebody said, even if you win the rat race, that means you are still a rat. I'm not a rat. You are not a rat. So I'm not in any rat race with anybody. I'm just minding my business. I'm just on my own lane. This is what God has called me to do to preach the gospel. And by the grace of God, as long as I'm on this earth, I will keep preaching it. When you know who you are, you begin to source your feelings of competency from God. Thank you for listening. And make sure you subscribe for more great podcasts.